Welcome to Why I Quit, a show that covers real people quitting their nine to five jobs in search of something different. Listen to inspiring conversations where we dive deep into the stories of why people quit their jobs, what were the hardest parts, where are they now, and any advice for people following the same path. I am so excited to introduce Steve Krakauer as this week's guest on Why I Quit. Listen as Steve discusses how he took everything he learned from his first full-time job to quit and start his own digital marketing agency. Learn about his struggles during the first year and how not having a plan B forced him to push through the tough times. Get inspired hearing about how Steve scaled Harbor Marketing Agency by finding the right employees and narrowing the focus of their services over the past five years. Hey, Steve. How are you doing today? Thanks for joining us. I'm doing well, Dave. Thanks for having me. Could you start off giving me a little bit of a background of your initial education and how that led into your first job? To back up way back when, I've always been super entrepreneurial, you know, typical story. Like I was always the kid with the lemonade stand. I'm sure basically every founder and entrepreneur tells you that. And I was always looking for ways to make money, start a business, create something. It's just kind of something that came naturally to me. Took the, the regular college route, you know, went to Loyola University in Baltimore, Maryland. You know, I kind of uh, just partied my way through school. I was coming upon graduation and I was like, okay, I need to get my act together here. I knew I wanted to go into entrepreneurship at some point, but I, I didn't really think it was achievable right after graduation. Uh, I knew nothing really about working yet or, or how to scale a successful business. I, I, had, I had a couple that I had tried to start and they had failed miserably. So I, I started applying to jobs and I actually got a job at a subscription box company called Hunt a Killer. I was fortunate enough to, you know, come on with them at a very early stage. And it was really the perfect opportunity for me right out of college because it was a startup a marketing coordinator position and the uh the founder of of hunt a killer ryan hogan is is just an absolute beast of an entrepreneur and so I, I got to work directly with him and you know learn from him and kind of see what real entrepreneurship and, and hustle looks like and tell me a little bit about that first job in terms of you know kind of your expectations going in of what you thought it was going to be versus kind of the experiences of, you know, the day-to-day -day and the, the work style and everything like that? I, I guess I don't really remember what I expected going in because I, I, it was my first job. It was just total startup culture, like a figure it out mentality. There were, there was no red tape. It was like whatever, you know, had to get done to just hit our marks and achieve our goals. We, we had to find a way to get it done. And the first couple months I was working there, I was literally like, we didn't have a proper office space. So I was, I was set up with a, a, a white fold out table and a bar stool. And that was like my, my desk setup. And the table was like a lot lower than the bar stool was. So like the, the table stopped at like my knee level. So I would like crouch down and have to work on my laptop. And so those were the early days of hunt a killer, but we grew really, really quickly. And so, you know, within the year and a half that I was there, we went from that setup to full office space, full warehouse. You know, the team grew by like 10 X while I was there. And so that was a really valuable experience because I, got, I kind of got to taste, you know, 
the real like hardcore startup mode of the business, but also see the growth into, you know, a more organized, structured company with more like middle managers and, you know, executives and implementers. And, and so I think looking back for me as a 21, 22 year old at the time, that was actually extremely valuable to get a, a taste of every piece of the growth from startup mode to more established. And that's kind of helped me to navigate how I've scaled my company today. I know you mentioned that you were always entrepreneurial. Was there a specific moment when you knew that it was time to, you know, start looking down that path? So going into that job, I told our CEO, Ryan, and I was like, hey, you know, just so you know, I'm really into entrepreneurship and I'm probably going to leave to start a company at some point. And, you know, kudos to him. He was like, hey, you know, that's fine. Why don't you start here and we'll see how it goes. And then we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. You know, that gave me the freedom to actually start a, a side hustle on the side where I, I just started, you know, running Facebook ads for people. It was really just kind of a freelancing gig uh, just to make some extra cash. When I finally decided to go full time with it, I think I saw a Gary Vaynerchuk video where he was basically saying like, you know, you can quit your job and start your side hustle or pursue entrepreneurship and, you know, basically fall flat on your face for 10 years straight and wake up and still only be 31. And so I was like, you know, when you put it that way, it's like everybody makes failure out to be like this huge, massive thing. Like, oh no, I started a company and I failed. Like that's the worst thing that could possibly happen. And it's like, you know, if you zoom out a little bit and you just look at it like, okay, I'm going to start this company. I'm going to take a risk. If I fail, fine, you know, I'll bounce back and try again. And I can do that for 10 years. And I basically have this 10 year runway of just trying things and it'll all be okay. And I know, you know, granted everyone's situation is different. Like I'm very lucky to be able to have people to fall back on and take those risks. But yeah, that was basically my mentality at the time. And that's why I decided to just take the leap. And tell me about you know, the process of taking that leap. Did you have an exit plan or, you know, did you, was it just one day you were like, now's the time and um, I'm just going to see if it works or not. Looking back, I think this was one of the reasons that I was able to get Harbor Marketing Agency off the ground was because I had no plan B. You know, I quit Hunt a Killer and I started working on Harbor Marketing Agency full time. And it was, it was a lot harder than I thought it would be. In my head, you know, I remember thinking like, oh, once I can do this full time, like I'm going to, you know, get clients super easily and, you know, I'll be making, you know, so much money every single month and life is going to be awesome. And that is like the exact opposite of what happened. The reality was I, I quit Hunt a Killer, quickly learned that I had no, no idea how to scale an agency. I had no idea how to sell anything to anyone. I knew online marketing from working at Hunt a Killer, every other piece of the business, I was a total newbie on. And so, you know, I was going into businesses in Baltimore and, and cold pitching them and like dropping off my business card and getting like laughed out of stores and couldn't land clients. I quickly blew through all the money in my savings account. There was a point where I had negative $238 in my checking account, $0 in savings and $11,000 in credit card debt. And I, I think the only reason that I was able to push through that time is just because I was like, I have no plan B and I want to do much bigger things in my life than start a marketing agency. And so if I quit this, then that means that I'm also quitting all of the other things that I want to do in the future, because by quitting this, 
I'm proving to myself that I'm incapable of achieving this smaller goal that I'm trying to accomplish. So how am I ever going to achieve those larger goals? And so, you know, I think for me, like if I had quit, like I had always thought of myself deep down as someone who is an entrepreneur and quitting on this journey for me would have meant that I would have had basically an identity crisis because I would have had to rethink how I defined myself as a person. So there was like no plan B at all. I was like, I'm making this work no matter what. In terms of, you know, some of the things that you did over that first year to turn it around, you know, talk to me a little bit about like, what are some of the things that, that worked well or didn't work for you? And then how are you able to learn from those to continue to scale the, the agency from there? Really, there wasn't much that I did right in the first year. The first year was more about learning what not to do. And so I, I think the thing that kind of saved Harbor Marketing Agency was I, I joined a mastermind group. And throughout the entire first year, I was trying to go at, go at it alone. And I was just trying to figure things out. And I was like, okay, let me just try to get clients. I think that's what I'm supposed to do. And like, let me you know try to run their ads. And like, nothing was working and things were quickly going south. And it wasn't until I actually joined a mastermind group, which for anyone listening who doesn't know what a mastermind is, it's basically a group of people that are trying to achieve a common goal. So I joined a, a mastermind group of agency owners, people that owned marketing agencies. You know, I learned from them how to sell, like what an agency sales process looks like, what scripts to follow. I learned how to build a team. You know, I learned how to price myself. I learned that niching down is important. You know, I, I learned like everything that you need to know about scaling an agency. And, and so suddenly my entrepreneurial journey went from me just trying to figure things out to actually following a proven model to grow my business. And that really made all the difference. And then the, the second important piece of joining a mastermind is, you know, you start to, to network with these people and you look at these really successful entrepreneurs and, and agency owners who have, you know, achieved these, these amazing things. And you realize that they're no smarter than, than you are, you know, they're, they're regular people. They've just, you know, figured a couple things out through trial and error. They've stuck with it longer and it's doable for anybody as long as you can, you know, do the same thing and, and be willing to learn. So talk to me a little bit about how you went through the process of getting through the hard times, but also being open to like a pivot or a different direction to be able to also make sure you're, you know, kind of taking your company in the right direction. It's an interesting piece of it. And, and honestly, it's still something that I, I struggle with a little bit today. A, I think as entrepreneurs, just being entrepreneurial, we always want to try new things and we always want to like, you know, be like, okay, we're doing it this way, but I'm going to try this and I'm going to try this. What I've learned over the years and what I, what I constantly have to remind myself of today is that you're never going to, to achieve anything great by doing 20 things half-ass. You know, you, you need to just pick one thing. And even if it's not the perfect thing, zero in on that and really give it 100% of your focus and effort. And that's the only way that you're actually going to be able to, to build something meaningful. To put that into an example for my company, you know, I started out basically being a jack of all trades. I was marketing for beauty salons. I was marketing for roofing companies. I was marketing for college ad admissions counselors. I was marketing for subscription boxes. And the problem with having so many niches or niches, however you want to say it, as an agency owner is that you can't formulate processes to execute perfectly on each one. It's just too much. 
one of the things that I learned from my mastermind was, you know, just pick one niche and be the expert for marketing companies in that specific niche. So for me, I worked at a subscription box company. And so naturally I was like, all right, I'm, I'm going with subscription boxes. Today we are a subscription box marketing agency. That's, that's what we do. I'm well aware that it's not the perfect niche. There are, you know, other niches out there that are easier to market. You know, subscription boxes in general is a very tough business model to make successful. And, you know, that presents a lot of challenges for our team. It's also a very small market. It's difficult to scale an agency to a sizable agency in that market because there's only like a couple hundred to a couple thousand subscription boxes that are going to be doing well enough to afford our services. That said, I've had more success just focusing on that one niche than going too wide with my focus. And so while I'm aware that the grass is probably greener on the other side and it's not the perfect niche, I'm just putting the blinders on, staying tunnel vision and just staying focused on that thing. And that is what has yielded the most success for us. So talk to me a little bit about the transition of you going from a one person agency to starting a build, build a team under you? You know, building a team is basically the most important part of building an agency. You have to build a really good team. Your, your team is essentially the, the product that you're selling to your clients. For me, you know, the first big shift was getting my, my pricing right. Because, you know, beforehand, I was pricing myself as a freelancer, essentially selling my time to the clients. And in order to scale an agency, you need to charge more. You, you need to price yourself accordingly so that you have room to pay your team and, you know, pay all your, your overhead costs and everything else, and then still have some profit at the end of the day. And so the first step was just raising my prices and getting comfortable pitching higher prices to clients on sales calls. And so there's a lot of internal beliefs that need to be worked out. You, know, you need to like believe that you're, you're valuable enough to charge those prices. And then from there, you know, I, I had to learn a hiring process and, you know, how to vet out the unqualified candidates, how to find the ones that, that are truly a good fit. And that was such a trial and error process of like hiring people, you know, it's it not working out, like things blowing up with clients and then being like, okay, I'm not doing that again. And then, you know, finding the right team. What I did to get started was I, I started charging more and then I would hire contractors and, and pay a bit more to those contractors per account. But I knew that they had experience and that they would do the job well. And if I lost a client, I could just like get rid of the contractor and it wouldn't be like I had this person on payroll. So I did that until we were large enough for it to make sense for me to hire someone internally where the, the cost of hiring, them, hiring that person internally would be less than the cost I was paying to the contractors. And that was basically how I started with my initial team members. Got fortunate you know, enough to hire the right people, some of whom are, are still with us today. And then as you, as you start to bring more and more people onto your team, you know, culture starts to become a real thing. It's no longer just like this ragtag group of marketers that you found online. And it's like, okay, like we have something here. This is a real organization. And so the way I kind of look at culture is it's in, it's an extension of, of myself. And, you know, I, I want to bring people on who I don't want to say think the, the way, the same way that I do, because at the same time, like diversity is important and you want to have a diverse set of ideas. But I think having a similar set of values in your culture is really, really important. As we, we grew and built our team, the next challenge was, you know, defining what those values are, like what is important to us and 
what are going to be the guiding principles for how we operate our company, regardless of who is on our team. And then I think if you can, you know, extrapolate that into your hiring framework, then that allows you to be a little bit more decisive in your, your hiring process and actually understand who is the best fit to bring onto your team. So that's kind of the point that we're at right now. And then we're figuring it out from there. So talk to me a little bit about how you've handled the shift in the work week and like, where do you see that going as a whole for your company and then maybe just the industry in general? We've always been remote, even before COVID. We have employees all around the US right now. So I, th I think we're in like eight to 10 states right now. So we've always been remote and always will be. And I, I think it makes sense. You know, if, if you hire, if you hire people that you trust, you know, give them the, the flexibility to have a doctor's appointment in the middle of the day or go take their dog for a walk or like pick up their kid from daycare. Like, I don't care as long as the, the work is getting done and you know, you're not missing deadlines or anything like that. doesn't matter to me if you work eight hours a day or two hours a day, all I care about is, you know, the clients are happy and you know, we're growing as a company and, and you're not missing deadlines. I, I think there are good things that can, that can happen from being in office, just having like proximity to one another and being able to like brainstorm on the fly and like walk up to someone's desk. Yes, that can be a good thing, but is the trade-off worth it for giving people the flexibility and kind of like work-life balance that everybody loves so much? I don't know, probably not in my eyes. I wanna switch a little bit and talk about a little bit more on the personal side in terms of, you know, when you're growing the business, you know, what were some of your goals in terms of work-life balance and, and growing the business at the same time? I know that a lot of times that can be a struggle for founders. And so talk to me about what that looked like in the beginning for you. And has that changed at all over the years as you've scaled as well? Yeah, it, it's interesting. I've kind of gone back and forth on this. I think, you know, when I, when I first started Harbor and went full-time with it, work-life balance was what I was after. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be able to work from anywhere. And, you know, I'm like, I want to travel a lot. And like, I just want to like get a couple clients and, you know, just enjoy my life and like make a lot of money. You know, what I, what I found was that by trying to live the work-life balance life, I was not making as much money because I wasn't, I wasn't working as hard. Hustling really hard is what got me to the point of being able to build a team. And then I started you know, kind of like instilling those values of work-life balance with my team. Cause I, I want my team to have a flexible culture and I want them to enjoy their lives. And so that is one thing where I think like my team and I kind of differ a little bit where like, I personally look at it for myself as like work-life balance is not really an option right now because I want to make it an option for my team. If that makes sense. Now it's an interesting thing where I feel like I'm at a point in the company where I have stopped chasing work-life balance so much. And I've just kind of accepted the fact that like, Hey, you know, this is my role. I have to work really hard if, if I want this company to grow and by not like chasing it so much, I don't miss it as much. And I, I'm, I've started to enjoy my role more. So I'm right now, at least I'm kind of just enjoying like hustling and working a lot and just growing the company. That said, that's not how the rest of the company operates. Like everyone's off at five and again, it's remote, it's flexible. Uh, we have like no meetings on Fridays, so everybody can just start their weekends early. But I think for me right now, I'm kind of just enjoying like hustling and just doing my thing and it, it's fun for me. So why would I stop? Do you have specific things that, you know, help you disconnect or turn off from work? So I do have a pretty intense routine and you know, I'll preface this with like, I'm not like a, 
a maniac. Like it's not like I'm working 24 seven. I definitely do take time off. And like, generally speaking, I'm not working that hard on the weekends, but I do, I do have a pretty intense routine, which is, you know, kind of laughable, but it works for me. I, I found that one of the things that helps me to just stay on top of things is just waking up really early. So I try to wake up, you know, at like four 30 or five on weekdays. And then, uh, I'll try to do like six to six 30 on weekends just to kind of like stay on the schedule. And then every morning, you know, I'll spend an hour reading just to make sure that I, I learned something new. Meditation has really helped for me. I used to have crazy high stress levels while I was starting Harbor. And as a 24 year old, I was actually admitted to the emergency room for high blood pressure. My blood pressure was like 225 over like 160 or something crazy like that. And then I started meditating and uh, just got my, my blood pressure checked recently. And it's like at totally healthy, healthy levels now. And I just feel much less stressed throughout the day. That has been one thing where it's not so much about like unplugging per se, but more so adopting habits that manage the need for me to unplug. And so meditation has been one of those things. Exercise, working out has been big. I always do that right after I meditate. And so like, that's kind of my whole morning routine. And, and then I do a cold shower after that. And so that's a, a whole nother slew of issues. It's, it's a pretty intense morning routine. <laughs> but that said, you know, I'll work until like anywhere between 5.30 to 7.30 most nights. So it's not that long. At night, you know, I unplug. I spend time with my fiance and we just kind of hang out and I, I don't think about work. But talk to me a little bit about over the next three to five years, with the agency or other stuff, what are you most excited about? And you know, what do you, what do you want to get into? Right now, my main focus is just continuing to do more of what we're doing. So just continuing to bring on more clients, continuing to get better results for the clients that we have, and just continuing to, to grow this agency. Going back to the focus thing, like one of the mistakes that I made this last year was trying to start a second agency on top of the agency that I currently have. And it, you know, it, it was a shit show. I just, couldn't focus on it. It was just too many things at once. So now I'm just like over the next three to five years, I'm just going to grow what I'm currently doing. You know, I'm just going to be tunnel vision on that. And I think what's exciting about it is that <laughs> the advertising landscape right now, like there's a lot going on with Facebook ads and privacy issues and like Apple and, you know, there's a whole slew of issues in the online advertising landscape right now. And so navigating those challenges is going to be interesting and I'm, I'm kind of excited for it in a way because it, you know, it'll, it'll be a good entrepreneurial litmus test to kind of like see what, see what I'm made of, see what my team is made of. And I think if, if we can successfully navigate that, there's a lot of opportunity for us to, you know, really make a name for ourselves in the industry. And, you know, I, I think we can be, you know, an eight figure company in the next three to five years. So I'm, I'm looking forward to just doing more of what we're doing. To end it, I always like to, you know, ask people the same question in terms of, you know, thinking back to, you know, before you made the leap and jumped in, what's a piece of advice you wish you knew? There are a lot of people out there who are going through the same process or thinking about it. And so, you know, what, what do you think is most, you know, the most valuable piece of advice that would be great for them before they make the leap themselves? I would say join a mastermind of really successful people who have done what you're trying to do. The reality is that you can do it. You're like, you're smart enough. If, if you can understand how other people did what you're trying to do, then you can do it too. Like, it's not like, you know, you're incapable of understanding how they got there. Learn from other people, be a sponge and, you know, soak in as much knowledge as you can. And 
don't have a plan B. You know, if it's important enough to you and if you really, really need to make this happen, then you'll find a way to get it done. And yeah, just stick with it. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time and sharing your story. I really appreciated this a lot. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Dave. This was fun. Thank you for listening. It really means a lot to us. We want to hear from you as we keep growing. Please reach out on whyquit.co if you have any feedback or potential guests. A special thanks to Chris Dole for the music. Please check out his newest album, Here's to You, on Spotify. Thank you, and we will be back next week with another episode.